Well, what a feast we've already had this morning. And it continues with the main course, the Word of God being preached. If you're visiting for the first time, we do what's called expository preaching here. That's where I open a passage and explain to you the passage, preach the passage, apply the passage. And that is what we do on a regular basis, working through books of the Bible, paragraph by paragraph. And we just happen to be on a text today that we've already heard testimonies about. And the text is Romans 8 and verse 30. It's a series that we've been working on for some time. It's a long series through Romans. And sort of a mini-series on 8, 29, and 30. And we heard today about people having this conversion, coming to faith. And what they were describing really is the heart of the gospel. What we're looking at today, justification. Justification. In fact, those who gave their testimony and those who joined the church because they also gave their testimony to the elders, they're right here. All believers are right here in this passage. Romans 8, 29 through 30. And I want to read that to you, starting with verse 28, because 29 and 30 are connected to verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the unbreakable chain of redemption. Or you could also call it like the Puritans did, the golden chain of salvation. As if God let down this golden chain from heaven and the links upon which this chain is built are describing what God does for us in salvation, in redemption. I don't know if you noticed in the passage there, but there's five links. Five links in this chain. For new, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Paul is giving an order here of what's called the Ordo Salutis in theology, the order of salvation. Not just from our experience. No, this is from God and what He is doing to save His people. It says He foreknew them. And we looked a few weeks ago at foreknew. That's God decided on whom He would set His love before the creation of the universe. It's not that He looked forward in time. No, God doesn't learn things. He's not like us. He's God. He knows all things all the time. No, this is for a new and as close, intimate way of knowing someone. God decided who he would set his love upon. And it says that's for his purpose, according to his purpose. Not based on our righteousness or how good we think we were. No, on his people, according to his purpose. That's for new. And because of that, now he marked them out. He marked them out that they would indeed be saved and that they would make it all the way to the end. That's what this chain is all about. The people that God foreknew are the same people who will be glorified. And Paul gives us these steps in between. So he foreknew a people. He, you could say, foreloved a people. Then he predestined them. He marked them out, previously determined that they, indeed, their whole destiny would lead to being saved and forever being with him, glorifying him. Those same people he called. So foreknowledge and predestination happens before God created the universe. 
Before time began, it says in Ephesians. Before the foundation of the world. But called still comes from God, but that happens in your lifetime believer at the moment that you were saved. Even if you don't know the moment, as we heard in one testimony, sometimes you don't know the exact moment. Regardless, Paul says, the same people he predestined are the same people that he calls. We looked at that last week. And now we come to justification. This is the fourth link out of five. The same group he also justified. How assuring is this? That if God has chosen you, you can't, like R.C. Sproul said, you can't get off this train. If God puts you on the train, you're going to go all the way to the destination. If God for loved you, then you will be glorified. And a lot of people doubt their salvation. A lot of people wonder and worry because they've maybe been raised that you have to do all these things to make sure you're saved. And Paul says, look, you can know that you're saved. You can be assured of salvation. You can know because these that God justifies, we can go backwards in time and we can even go forwards to glorified. So let's look at justified. The people, the group that God called, he also justified. All that God has for loved, he predestined, he called, he justified. What is justification? Well, it's the answer to the biggest question that mankind has. All the way back in Job, the earliest book written in the Bible, Job 9.2. Job says, how can a man be in the right before God? How can we be right with God? How can we be right with God? God's holy. God's righteous. God is perfect. And we're not. You have to just face that fact. We are not God. We are not holy. We are not perfectly righteous. In any sense compared to God. But yet, he does save people. He does declare them righteous. And before his judgment seat, they are not punished eternally. How is that possible? Well, that is the doctrine of justification taught throughout Scripture. Taught a lot in Romans. We saw it already in chapter 3. Paul kind of hinted at it in chapter 1. He opens it up fully in chapter 3. He comes now back to it here in chapter 8. He also looked at it in chapters 4 and 5 and the implications of it in 6. This is an important doctrine. This really is the heart of the gospel. If you don't understand justification, you don't understand what happened for your benefit, for your salvation. Every believer should understand justification. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it's the article, the one theology, he says, the article on which the church stands or falls. He says the doctrine of justification is the head. It's the cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. Without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. If you lose the teaching on justification from Scripture, then you lose the gospel and you lose the church. There are false churches out there, but a true church will always have the right teaching on the gospel. They may be confused on a lot of secondary, tertiary doctrines, but a true church will have the right teaching on the gospel. A few hundred years after Martin Luther, a Reformed theologian, a Dutch Reformed theologian, 
Wilhelmus L. Brockel says, Justification is the soul of Christianity. It's the fountainhead of all true comfort and sanctification. The person who errs in this doctrine errs to his eternal destruction. One must therefore be all the more earnest to properly understand, defend, and meditate upon this doctrine. It's extremely important. And I hope that I've gotten that point across to you. Every true believer in church history that has understood this from the Bible really understands it knows how important it is. Let's look today at three aspects, three aspects of justification that we should understand. Really, you could flip this around, and if you wanted to make it more apologetic, you could say three things that the false churches, the false gospel gets wrong. But I'm going to state it from a positive. Three aspects that we need to understand about justification. First of all, justification is by grace alone. It's by grace alone. This is the Reformed doctrine called sola gratia. Sola gratia. In the Reformation, as Luther is writing, as he is moving away from the Catholic Church, writing against the Pope, he looks at the gospel and he says, it's not right. It's all about what I have to do. And he says, the Bible says, it's by grace alone that we're saved. It's by grace alone that we're justified. And so he begins to write about that. Of course, he gets excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And that starts what we call the Great Reformation. This is God's grace that justifies us. It is the cause of our justification. It's only by his grace. That's why it's not according to your works. Let's look at that just in Romans so far. Go back to Romans 3.21. Let's just do a Bible study here in Romans on this. We don't have to go very far. Romans 3.21, and this is key right here. He, he talks about all the way through verse 28. So I just want to run through this and show you here. He says, but now. He means now, in the time that Paul is living, there is a message going out. And what he has said in chapters 1, 2, and 3, leading up to 3.21, has all been bad news. I'll summarize for you. No one is righteous, no, not one. That's what he says in 3.10. That's his summary. That's God's summary. That's Old Testament and New Testament. No one's righteous, not even one. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone is headed naturally to eternal punishment, to hell. That's not fire and brimstone, although it is fire and brimstone. That is biblical teaching. Everyone's going to hell. If it's based on you, you're going to hell unless God does something. And so Paul says, but now. Something different has, has come. A gospel message has gone out. Of course, was contained in the Old Testament. But now it is clearly revealed. It's no longer a mystery. It's going out apart from the law. The righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So it was there in the Old Testament. But now it's something that is apart from the law. And it always really was. The law was given to believers to follow. This is a message of salvation to unbelievers. Verse 22 even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here it is, verse 24, you see it? Being justified. Being declared righteous. That's what justification means. Being declared righteous by God. It's a gift by His grace. Let's stop right there. When you get a gift... Is that something you earned? You know what it's called when you earn it? 
called wage. It's a wage. It's what's due to you because you worked for your employer. They owe it to you. Is a gift owed? It's not owed. It is a gift. It's freely given by God. And this justification is a gift, and now it tells us, by His grace. There's a lot of theology packed right here into this verse. And look at the preposition, by. By His grace. That's who's giving the gift. We're not gifting ourselves something. This is God doing it. How does it happen? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. But what's the cause? What's the root cause? When you get down to it, our salvation, is it us? Are we doing it? Did someone else do it for us? Did our parents do it for us? Does some priest somewhere do it for us? No, the Bible says God did it for us by his grace. By his grace. Verse 25, Christ is where we receive that redemption from, and it's whom God displayed Christ publicly as a propitiation. That means he satisfied the wrath of God for us in his blood. That's his death. And that comes through faith, which we'll look at in a moment. For a demonstration of God's righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. God did not wipe out the human race, even though they have sinned since Adam and Eve fell. God preserved the human race. The gospel message now goes out to all humanity. And it's for the demonstration that this happened, that Christ was put on the cross of God's righteousness. This is all about God in this passage. God's righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Can you boast about your faith? Can you brag that you saved yourself, Paul says? No, there's no place for boasting. It's excluded. Is there a law about that? Is there some kind of law in the Old Testament about that? No, he says it's a law of faith. If you want to talk about law, it all comes down to faith. It's a rule, not the Old Testament law, but a rule, a principle called faith. For we maintain that man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we'll come to faith in a moment. But we're looking at God's grace. Chapter 4 of Romans. Chapter 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes upon him who justifies the ungodly, that's God, this person's faith is counted as righteousness. So if being justified means you're declared righteous, Paul is saying it's not according to your work. It doesn't matter how many beads you pray over. It's never going to save you, Paul says. This is about God saving you by his grace. It's not something you can do. It's not something you can earn. It's not according to works. How does Paul talk about here being credited as righteous? You are saved by God's grace. He's the one who does it. It's him who justifies. And it's through faith. Now look at Romans 8.33. Romans 8.33. We'll come to this in a few weeks here. He says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Remember, Romans 8 is all about assurance. It's about reassuring the believer that God will fulfill all that he's promised in the Bible to give us. And he will not let us fall away. If you're truly saved, he will not let you fall away from the faith. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. If God's the one who justified, who can come and change God's mind? Who can come and convince God to let you out of his hand, to let you out of the faith, to fall away? 
The idea is no one can. Who is the one who condemns? Who can condemn? God's the only one who can condemn people to hell. No one else is going to do that to you. Christ Jesus, though, is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So God's the one who justifies. He's not going to undo that. Do you think, believer, that God would justify you? And then tomorrow you mess up and you sin. And he says, oh, well, I guess I'll let them go. I'll change my mind. God's never changed his plan. He's never changed his decree. God will not cast you out. So what is justification? It's the instant that God declares you legally, declares you as forgiven. He considers you forgiven of all your sins. And on top of that, he also considers you righteous before him because of Christ. He declares you righteous. He forgives you of all your sin. By his grace, he does that. And by his grace, he applies the perfect life of Christ on your account. It's the great exchange. He takes the worst of you and dismisses it and gives you the best of Christ, his righteousness. The great exchange. That means that your own good works are not going to earn you salvation. Your works are not what earns you salvation. They're not meritorious. They're not the grounds upon which God gives you salvation. God himself is the just and the justifier. You see, all other world religions, you know what they all have in common? It doesn't matter if you're talking about work salvation like the Roman Catholic Church teaches or Mormonism. Yes, they have different views of the Trinity and of God, but you know what they all have in common? You've got to work for it. You've got to work for it. You've got to be good enough. If I can just be good enough, maybe my good will outweigh my bad. That's kind of modern Christianity even in America. That's the way I grew up. I don't know about you, but I grew up, we're all Christians. You're born in America, you're a Christian. Especially in Texas, right? We're all Christians. Especially in a small town in Texas, we're all Christians. And I heard over and over from different people growing up that if we're good enough, God will look at that. And that will outweigh all our bad. You know what the Bible says? Nothing you can do will ever outweigh one sin you commit. Because compared to God, one sin is all it takes. He's infinitely holy. And one sin is enough to infinitely punish a person forever and ever. In other words, all of these false religions deny what the Bible teaches on salvation. When it comes down to it, that's what it is. They deny it. They go against Scripture. I said this is modern American Christianity in some sense. Well, Ligonier, the, the group Ligonier, they do a study every few years. And they make these statements in the study, and you have to choose whether you agree or not. I think they call, or maybe they ask you to fill it out now online. And they say, do you agree or disagree with this statement? Here was the statement that pertains to what I'm discussing here today with you. Here's what they said. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. That's the statement. And now you have to select, taking the survey, do you agree with that statement or not? 41% of evangelical Christians said they strongly disagree with that statement. That God would not punish somebody for the smallest sins. Well, where's the bar there? Do we get to decide? You know, if I steal bubble gum, that's okay, God. 
And if I look at these things online, that's okay, God. And if I do these things, it's only the guy who murders a million people that goes to hell, right? I mean, when it comes down to it, you ask the modern liberal Christian, there's like Adolf Hitler, Stalin, and a couple of other people maybe going to hell in their mind. 41% of evangelical, that, that means that not evangelical politically, evangelical, and they're supposed to have the gospel in their belief system, in their church. They disagreed that God would punish somebody for eternity, for one sin. And maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, pastor, I, I don't believe that God would do that. I don't believe that God would do that. Let me just say, here's what the Bible says. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Let's look at that together. Since, of course, we have plenty of time today, right? You're not going anywhere after this. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is our rap sheet. If you're outside of Christ, this is your rap sheet right now. This was ours as believers before we came to faith, right? Even though you're believing today, before you believed, this was your rap sheet. Among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Children of wrath. You're born children of wrath. I just don't believe that God would do that. It says right here in Scripture, everyone comes into this world by nature with sin and the sin guilt from Adam and their own sin desires and they're headed to wrath if not for God's grace. Because that's the next verse in Ephesians 2, 4. But God. But God did something. If you're His, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. He goes on down to 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. See, it doesn't matter if you don't believe it. The Bible says that it's true. God says that it's true. We're all sinners. None righteous, not even one. And who really just commits one small sin? I mean, that's enough. That's enough to go to eternity in hell. But we know that even as believers, we commit more than one sin since we've been saved. And certainly as an unbeliever, you sin with no restraint. Often the only restraint is God's common grace. Well, we talked about Romans 3.10. Here's James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. One sin is as if you've disobeyed all of the law of God. You see, the modern sense of what we think is fair and right is twisted. It's twisted by our sin. God's word has something different to say. Ephesians 5, 6, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's what the Bible says. And even if that wasn't enough, let's say you've never heard of the Bible. You grew up on an island in a cave and you never met another human being. The Bible says you still have a conscience that God gave you. And he put some knowledge of him inside you that you knew there was a creator and you failed to worship him. Even if you've never read the Bible, you knew there was a creator, Romans 1 says. You failed to worship him rightly and give him thanks and glory. And you have a conscience. You know right from wrong. All cultures of the world know right from wrong. One more verse and we need to move on to the next point. Titus 3. This will wrap up point number one here. That 
Justification is by grace alone. Sola gratia, Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves also once were foolish. See, even Paul can talk about this. This is his past he's talking about here. The Apostle Paul. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. Now, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy, before he was saved, he never would have admitted this to people in public. This guy would have said, I obey all the laws. I obey all the commands of God. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he says, now looking back, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, despicable. If that applies to Paul before he came to faith, that applies to all of us in the room, doesn't it? But, there's that wonderful but. But when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. How did He do it? Not by works, which we did in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the, the Spirit comes in and changes your heart and renews you. Makes you born again. That's what regeneration means. Whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And in verse 7, here it is. So that having been justified by His grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're justified by His grace. Let's move on now to the second point that I want you to see here in Scripture. Because as we think through the golden chain, there's one word Paul has there, justified. And now I'm, what I'm doing is opening that up for you in other parts of Romans and in other parts of Paul's letters and even other parts of Scripture to drill down and see what does this word justification really entail? What is this doctrine all about? So secondly, justification is through faith alone. Sola fide. Faith alone. The solas, the five solas, which we'll cover three today, the five solas are the call that the Reformation put out. The five disagreements, if you wanted to summarize it like that, five disagreements that they had with the Catholic Church. Justification is through faith alone. Man is justified before God through faith alone, apart from works. So you might say, well, you know, see, we do something, don't we? Pastor, you just said in point number one, it was all of God. But it says here that we do something, we have faith. But realize, and we looked at this last week, didn't we? Where does that faith come from? How are you even able to have faith? How do you go from not following God and not believing and not committing your life to Christ to the next day doing so? If it's not by your own works, then again, even faith must eventually lead back to God as the one who changes our hearts. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? That God changes your hearts? That God opened Lydia's heart there on the river? In the book of Acts, that God grants repentance. We looked at some of those verses last week. Believer, your faith in God is the instrument by which God brought about your justification. It's your faith. You exercised it. But the only way you could do it is because God did something first. God granted you His grace. And that includes everything, the Holy Spirit, regeneration, all the things taught in Scripture that the Spirit must do so that you freely desire to come to Him. Let's now look at this in Scripture. Faith alone. Not faith plus works. Faith alone. Just in Romans. Romans 4.4. 4, 
we already looked at Romans uh, 4, 5, but 4, 4 and verse 5 here. How many times has Paul already said this in Romans? So when he gets to Romans 8, 30, they've already read this part of the letter. It makes sense to them. He just says justified and they know what it means. He's been talking about it the whole book of Romans. Now to the one who works, his wage is not counted according to grace. That's not grace when you get paid what you're owed for working, but according to what is due. You're owed that, it's due you. But to the one who does not work, but believes upon him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It's not saying the person is righteous. It's not saying you earned righteousness. It's saying when you said, I cannot be perfect, God, I'm always sinning, God. I can't do this anymore, God. And you turn to him for salvation. That's faith. You no longer trust in yourself. You no longer trust in your upbringing. You don't trust in your, some baptism that somebody gave you when you knew you weren't even saved. How many testimonies do we hear of people being on the worship team, getting baptized, thinking they were a Christian for decades, and then one day God does actually save them? That's not rebaptism, by the way. That's their first baptism, according to Scripture. The other stuff was just a bath, sprinkling, shower, whatever you want to call it. Romans 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith. It's by God's grace. We looked at that first, but it's, it's by faith. It's through this exercise of faith that we have, not according to our works, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith. He just keeps talking about it. It's by faith into this grace in which we stand. Romans eleven six. If we go a little bit past where we're at in Romans 8. Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So which is it? Grace or faith? Both. Not our faith plus God's grace. God's grace that even allows us to have faith. God's free gift that he grants to us and we exercise that through faith. It is through faith. The idea here that we see over and over, it is not according to works. It's not according to the seven sacraments, most of which aren't even listed in the Bible. It's not according to your family ties. Your parents being in ministry, if your dad was a pastor, a deacon, an elder, you can't be saved by that. You remember the Jews came up to Jesus and said, we have our father as Abraham. Who are you to tell us what we should do and believe? And he says, that's nothing. You know, family ties, that's really nothing when it comes to salvation. I can turn these rocks into children of Abraham. Do you think because your parents were Christians, that guarantees you will be? Now, don't get me wrong. Faithful parents can preach the gospel in their home. And often that is how people are saved. But it's not because your parents are Christians that you became or will become a Christian. Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. And even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It's almost as if God knew this would be an issue because we're so prideful. And he puts it in here over and over. Not by works, by faith, by grace. Not by works, not by works. I mean, just in Galatians 2.16 right there in the following verse, it's 
two or three or four times. So what is faith? It's just a complete trust in God's Son. A complete trust in God's Son to save you from the wrath of God because of your sin. It's knowing that Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He, he came to this earth to die for sinners. And if you put your trust in him, that perfect life that he lived goes on your account and all of your sin wiped away. The other great reformer, John Calvin, said, wherever the knowledge of faith alone is taken away, when you take that away from Christians and away from the church, the glory of Christ is extinguished. Religion abolished. The church destroyed the hope of salvation utterly overthrown. You have to have faith. And it's not faith plus works. It's faith alone. There are plenty of other religions and beliefs that would say, oh, of course, justification by grace. Justification by faith. You know what really sticks it right here to the Bible's teaching? The word alone. Alone. That means what? Nothing else. What else is there? Works. Works. No, it's by grace alone, through faith alone. And number three, justification is in Christ alone. It's in Christ alone. Solus Christus. Solus Christus. It's by God's grace. It's through this faith that we have. Faith in what? Faith in some wonderful, happy place. A lot of times, that's how people speak. I remember we got this coffee mug as a gift one Christmas. And it just said faith all over. Just the word faith everywhere. And there's shower curtains, I think we saw one time in a store, Walmart or something. And it just had the faith all over. Faith in what? Right? I have faith that my truck is hopefully going to start when I get in the truck this morning. Right? I have faith that the building is going to stay up. But what are we talking about here? Faith in what? Faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. You see, Christianity is about a person. It's not just about doctrine. It's not just about how many Bible verses you grow up knowing. It's about a person. And a personal relationship with that person. Not just a Jesus is my best friend kind of relationship. Although he is our friend when we come to him. But Jesus is my Lord. He's my King. He's my Savior. He's the Messiah. He is God. The gospel is about a person. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. It's about Him. We must exercise faith in Him, not just faith in God. Occasionally we hear testimonies like that as elders. I have faith in God. One day I just started believing in God. Wonderful. Romans 1 says everybody starts out with that. You haven't really gotten anywhere if you say I believe in God. I mean, it is good that you're not rejecting Him like an atheist tries to do. But the Bible says salvation is faith in Christ alone. Even as a young person, I thought all this talk about Christ. I'm all good with God. But this stuff about Jesus, he makes demands on his people. He's going to come in Revelation and says he's going to bring a sword and judge the earth. I don't really want to hear about Jesus, but I am good with God. You know why I thought that? Because I could make up what I wanted to believe about God. But when it starts getting into things about Jesus here in the Bible, that was very specific for me because all I'd read was the book of Revelation. And it scared me because Christ is coming back. See, Christianity, salvation, true biblical Christianity is about a person, Jesus Christ. What he did, the once for all death, 
that he gave for his people, the sacrifice on the cross, and that he was raised on the third day. Those are the two facts that you should tell people about Jesus. You can say other things, of course. But what are the two things when it comes down to it in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul wants everybody to know? That he died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There it is. The gospel. Believe in Christ and you will be saved. Martin Luther said, I must listen to the gospel. It tells me not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. You see, trying to work for salvation is all about doing, doing, doing. But the gospel is about what Christ has already done. You'll never obey the law perfectly. But by faith in Christ alone, you're saying you can't obey the law. You can't be good. You can't be righteous. He's already done it. That's why it's the best news ever. You can never do it, and he's already done it. So trust in him. Why? Why don't people do that? Because of sin? Because of depravity? Listen to last week's message where we talked about that, if you haven't heard it. So of all the verses, let's just look at this one on having faith in Christ alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I talked about that great exchange earlier. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I go back and forth. Is this my favorite verse? Or is Ephesians 2.8 and 9 my favorite verse? They're both my favorite verse. He, God, made him, Jesus, the Son of God. So the Father, God, made him, the Son of God, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Okay, let's stop right there. That's the first half of this wonderful great exchange. This is the forgiveness part. Jesus never knew sin. He never sinned. He was perfect. We, of course, are sinners. And it says here that God the Father did this transaction and that he who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Not that he made Jesus a sinner, but that he put our sin on Jesus. He put our sin on Jesus at the cross. God can do that kind of transaction, and he did, it says, for those who have faith. Okay, the second part of the verse. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, that's the righteousness part. You see, if you just have forgiveness, your debt is erased. Right? You're in debt a billion dollars, and it gets erased. Now, you're back to zero. But is zero enough? Is zero enough to get to eternal life with God? No, you have to be perfectly righteous. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So you need the righteousness of Christ. Sometimes, rightly so, we talk about forgiveness of sin, but there's also this other part of imputation of justification, which is the righteousness of Christ. You're back to zero. That's where Adam and Eve started out. You need not zero, but infinite positive. That's the righteousness of Christ. This verse right here, it's the heart of the gospel right here. That he took away our sin, that he gave us his righteousness. This is what John MacArthur said about the verse. He says, this sentence reveals the essence of the atonement. It expresses the heart of the gospel message. It articulates the most glorious truth in scripture. It's like a cache of rare jewels each deserving a careful, reverential examination under the magnifying glass of Scripture. 
Justification is one of those doctrines I could preach every week of the year and we still would not come to the end of what the Bible says on it. Because it's just this diamond. Every time you turn it, you see how the light comes through at a different angle. And you enjoy its beauty every time you look at a different facet. That's God's gospel. That's God's truth. God justifies sinners. He takes away their sin. He gives them the righteousness of Christ. One time in a previous building, we had a a guy come in and he was telling me about his growing up. And he said, you know, I grew up as a Catholic. The nuns taught me in the Catholic school. And they're always telling me not to do this and always to do this. And this guy's about 80 something now. And he says to me, you know, I never could do what they told me. I still can't do all the stuff they told me. He said, no one can do all the stuff that they require. And I looked at him and I said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. I mean, at least he admitted he's not able to do it for himself. Then I told him the truth of the gospel and having faith in Christ. And I pray that that sunk in because I never saw the guy again after that. The true gospel says we have no part in earning our salvation. But Christ has done it all. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name, the Bible says, under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, if you are not a Christian, if you're resisting the Lord, if you're saying, you know, I'm a good person. I don't need all this Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone stuff. You do. I'm telling you, God says you do need that. That's the only way of salvation. If you know how sinful you are and that guilt has just been creeping up and building and building and building, why not turn to Christ? God is offering him to you right now today. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Why go another day just building up that guilt and living with it and living with that pain and frustration? Not only the guilt, but it's going to run your life and it's going to run your eternity. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who are those who are weary and heavy laden? Those who are trying to earn their salvation, trying to be good enough. Come to Christ. He will give you rest. Cry out to him. And believer, this is just one more example of how we should thank and glorify God for what he has done and learn to get the gospel right. So when we tell others, we don't make mistakes, but we tell them the truth of what the Bible says about who we are, who God is, and what Christ has done for us. Give glory to God, believer, in your worship and everything you do in life. Let's pray for that now. Lord, help us to glorify you because we sometimes don't even remember and think about what you've done for us. As believers gathered here today as the church, we tend to go about our life and get anxious and worry and fret over the things that happen each day. But the eternal Son of God came to die for me, a sinner. That's the most important thing. And we got his perfect righteousness applied to us. Lord, help me, help everyone listening today to live out that truth in their life. Let us live for Christ, live according to his calling of us, and tell others about this wonderful news. In Jesus' name, amen.